I know I'm not the first if you're here in person and probably won't be the last to wish you a happy Father's Day. Many of us are, are blessed to have wonderful earthly fathers. I count myself among those because I have a, a father that is loving and compassionate. And, and one of my favorite things about my father is, is he taught me the meaning of the word integrity. And, um, and I remember the first time I heard that word used to describe my father, and I was at a business meeting. We were in business together, and we were in New Jersey, and, and one of the other uh, businessmen came up who'd known my father for many, many years, probably 25, 30 years, and said, your father is a man of integrity. And I thought, well, that is really cool. And the way he said it really had a, a deep impact. But as I've learned to understand what that means in respect to scripture, that he is the same wherever, whatever situation. And so what's interesting is when when people meet my father and they talk about him and they know him through his church or his business or the community or anything else, that's the same person that I know. It's not a surprise. He's not another way behind the door than um, in the house than, than the community knows him. And otherwise, and, and that is so important. And, and I wish that was something that I did a better job of if I were being completely honest. Now, I... I've been told before, not in, in this setting, but I've been told before that we should be careful as pastors not to talk so much about God the Father, not because of a gender thing, but because some people don't have that example of God the Father. And it could be incredibly sensitive for me to say, your heavenly Father loves you because they don't know and identify that. And I understand that. And that breaks God's heart to know that maybe he gave you a father that, that didn't quite get it right or do what you need or or really more accurately be a model of the father that, that God created them to be. But I also want to push back on people who say that and say, we can't dumb down the expectation of what God has for us as a mother, as a father, as a, a person, right? Just because we love ice cream and we love Royals baseball and Chiefs football or whatever it may be that you love doesn't mean that that that's the same kind of love that God has for us and we should have for him. We kind of dumb these things down. So I'm sorry if, you know, sometimes the word I choose or, or our examples in the word of who God is and how he should be, we try to equate it to something that our, our mind can wrap around. But the truth is God is the perfect father, the perfect example. And not only are we having trouble to be that way for our own children, but we're having trouble understanding what that means. But scripture reveals time and time again what a good, good father looks like, acts like. And so again, I want to thank you, mothers and wives, for your support because we need it. And husbands, don't let up on supporting the mothers of your children, the wives, and, and those who have children. And, and grandparents, we have a, a, a special role as well to be men and women of influence in the lives of our family members and our neighbors and their children. Okay, we're all in this together. So we have a heavenly father that loves us. And, and today's Father's Day. And the Bible, as with most areas of our life, offers counsel and guidance on the roles and responsibility of the father. And, and some of these, just to name a few, are that fathers are to be their child's first teacher. Proverbs 20, 20, 22, 6. Start your children off on the way they should go. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Now, this is important because we only have a limited period of influence in the lives of our children. And we, we put them out in the world and, and we hope that we did what we can do for them to do well. 
So if we start them off, that's our responsibility. Fathers need to set a good example for their children. 2 Corinthians 3.2. This is Paul's letter to the early church in Corinth. It says, you yourselves are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone, right? We're an example. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not in ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. You are a person of influence, I promise you. In James 1.22, which is our theme for this year, to be intentional, says, do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. Be good parents. Be good role models for the others in your life. Scripture even tells fathers that they are to discipline their children, right? Proverbs 13.24 says, don't spare the rod, right? We are responsible for the kind of discipline, the kind of proper discipline that teaches right from wrong. God disciplines his children. He disciplines us. But also says, don't provoke your children. My kids used to laugh at this verse. I don't know who taught it to them, but they used to love this. Ephesians 6, 4, fathers or parents, do not exasperate your children. Okay. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And we know we should spend time with our children and make sure it's quality time. Deuteronomy 6, 6, 7. So we're going back to the, the earliest recordings in, in, in the Bible. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk, to, talk about them when you sit at home and you, when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. It's all encompassing, right? We live this. We're teaching this to our children and to those we have an influence on. And compassion isn't just for mothers to do. Compassion is a, is a father characteristic. Psalm 103.13 says, as a father has compassion on his children. That's an expectation. So the Lord, the Father, has compassion on those. Good fathers never give up on their kids. We're going to talk about the prodigal son. And loving fathers, this is so important. Pray for their children. In 1 Chronicles 29.19, we find King David praying for his son Solomon. This is an example of what we're supposed to do for everyone, okay? Don't forget the people under your own roof to pray for them. And good fathers provide for their family. And this is what we're gonna talk about this morning. But 1 Timothy 5.8 speaks about denying providing for one's family, especially someone in their household, is a denial of faith. And that's strong words. And it says it's worse than an unbeliever. That's strong if you do not provide for your family, especially those in your households. So we're going to talk a little bit this morning about the idea of inheritance. Sure, if you change that slide. As fathers, and, and honestly, as parents, we, we provide for our families. We do this in several ways, right? We work to provide money, we have to make a living, to provide for the financial resources, to buy the things we need and provide the, the environment we need for safety and security for our family. We provide insurance through our jobs as well. We also provide a means to support our families after our passing, right? By way of insurance and by way of inheritance. We want there to be a legacy, not only um, in, in the things that we have that we can provide for our family, but also a legacy in our beliefs. So the things that we know to believe important are things that are carried on through our children and, and the other people that we have influence on. And it's along these lines that I'm going to share this morning's message focus. 
but from the perspective, again, of being the recipient of an inheritance. You know, when we think about the inheritance we receive from our families, typically our parents, we think about the money or the property, the assets that is legally transferred at the time of death. There are other things that we inherit, right? We inherit genetic traits like hair color and eye color, and, and we, we also get things passed down like personality and beliefs and behaviors, right? Our, our parents' sense of humor and, and their understanding of, of honesty and integrity are things that are passed down. For years, my mom had this refrigerator magnet. I don't recall if it got moved with them last time, but for years, I could, I could still see it. And you enter the garage, it said, insanity is hereditary. You get it from your kids. <laughs> yes, yes. I would be hurt, but I know she's talking about my brothers, not me. <laughs> but when the Bible speaks of inheritance, it speaks of it this way. It says, you know, there's, there's this legal inheritance of actual property of goods when a family member dies, right? And that's still included in, in scripture as well. But a historical note about that. Jewish inheritance customs were linked to the family bloodlines, okay? You inherited from your families, passed down with your name. While Greek and Roman laws provided for the disposition of family possessions through an adoption of an heir, okay? And I don't mean just adopting a, a child per se, certainly that would be included, but you can adopt an heir. Like I pick you to be the recipient of my inheritance. And this is Greek and Roman law. And so this is the time and the place where, where the apostle Paul was living and writing. So he makes reference to this. In fact, he reveals this a lot when Paul talks about an adoption to sonship. He's talking about the full legal, you know, choosing and being included in what is being inherited. Romans 8.15 and 23.9.4, Galatians 4.5, Ephesians 1.5. You don't have to write this down. I'll, I'll be sharing these later. Are included as references where, where Paul is talking about we are adopted into this kind of legal, full benefit heirs. And the scriptures transform the concept of inheritance to include the acquisition of spiritual blessings and promises from God. In this theological sense, to inherit means to receive an irrevocable gift with an emphasis on the special relationship between the person who's giving it and the recipient because they have chosen you. Okay? You aren't just their child, so you naturally get it. They have specifically singled you out and said, I'm giving you this irrevocable gift of all of the wonderful things that I have. But unlike the legal inheritance that we most often think of, the benefactor, God, he doesn't die. Yet he provides these blessings, these material and spiritual blessings to us while he continues to live. And so we get to claim this inheritance now while God is living and we are in his presence. So listen to some of the examples of inheritance revealed in the Bible. And I'm gonna start in the First Testament where inheritance is predominantly land because the Israelites were in this struggle of land, right? They were, they were often taken out of their land and, and chased and, and exiled, and then they were given a promised land, and they were more than once exiled or, or captured from, from that. But land was, was the thing to this people of God that would become the Israel nation. So this is Genesis 17, 5 through 8, talking about Abraham and his descendants. So Abraham was an, an aged man, had no children. But God makes his promise. He said, starting in verse five, no longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. 
For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. So you can hear this that this is the inheritance. I'm going to give it to you. I'm giving you my inheritance to you, Abraham, and all of your descendants to pass along. Genesis 22:18 says, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. So Genesis 22, now we're at the very beginning of the Bible. So flash forward to what we know about Jesus and his lineage, and we know that this came to be true. We also read that there is an inheritance of God's promise. This was an example. But in Exodus 32, 13, it says, Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. So he's reminding God one of these promises made to Abraham. To whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised, and it will be their inheritance forever. Leviticus 20, but I said to you, you will possess the land. I'll give it to you as an inheritance, a land flowing with milk and honey and the Lord your God who has set you apart from the nations. This is a promise of God, a promise that is passed down as an inheritance. But with the arrival of Jesus Christ, the promises never change. We're still the recipient of the same covenant promise, the same inherited promise of God. But the mechanism did, right? And now... Now we're being called and into sonship, to daughtership, to, to be a child of God. And the Apostle Paul captures this well in Galatians 3.18. It says, for if the inheritance depends on the law, so he's going back and referencing the, the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. He says, I'm not required to do this. I choose to do this. I made a promise that I will not break. Okay? Hebrews 9.15 refers to Christ as the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promise inter- eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the New Testament, the inheritance became salvation. It became eternal life. It became the kingdom of God. And those who inherited are adopted by our holy God's own choice to be full legal heirs with all rights and privileges of his children. And in this, we find words of hope, such as Romans 8, 16. It says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. You've thought about that? You are connected to Christ in this way as a son of God, a daughter of God. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Ephesians 1, 11, 14. In him we were also chosen. And this Greek word chosen refers to that legal right of the time. That we have full right and privileges if we were his own birth children. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. 
And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You have been eternally marked in your heart through the spirit that testifies that he chose you. This is an inheritance that First Peter describes as one that can never perish or spoil or fade. And it's kept safe for you in heaven. But it matters who you inherit it from, right? You don't want the worst of someone's traits. You don't want someone to leave you stuff, just junk, right? It matters what you're inherited and what it comes from. And, and so with God, it's his goodness. It's his promise that he is, he's given to us. And when I was listing some of the responsibilities of the father to provide for his family, I referenced the prodigal son. And I want to take a moment to read this parable. It's found in Luke 15, 11 through 32, if you'll indulge me. And if you want to open your Bibles, Luke 15, 11 through 32. I'll be reading from the NIV. It says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Imagine he had been given, he, he was just impatient. He said, God, Father, give me, give me what you owe me and give it to me now. And then he went off and lived wildly and then hard times fell, right? And he's so hungry, he's, he's wanting to eat the slop that he's feeding the pigs. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hard servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now I have to wonder, number one, the enormous amount of pride he had to swallow to go back. But he had decided in his heart that he was going to go back and say, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Thinking that maybe he would have to beg to be received. But his father ran out from far off. Now, I wonder how many of us would have said, well, I guess I don't need to say that now. Because I guess there's no no harm. You know, father has forgiven me. I don't need to say that. But he was faithful to his promise. And he said, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now it goes on to tell the rest of the story about the older brother who who became angry because he was with him the whole time. And, And really the message of this parable is about the lost son being found and, and, and coming back, uh, about setting aside your pride in this case and, 
And we may speculate a lot about this story, and perhaps you can relate to one or more of the characters. In fact, one of, one of the, the messages I shared that I really enjoy is picking these parables, these stories, and looking at it from different perspectives, right? The father, you know, how would you respond to the son who would ask for the stuff very entitled and then blown it and come back? Or, or how would you respond if you were the son? Would you have enough you know, would you set aside the pride to come back? Or, or what about the son who had been faithful the whole time? Is that fair? You know, or the servants thinking this is crazy what we're watching or is it really cool? So I love speculating about who we are in these other characters and these stories and how we'd respond. But however you look at this, there's some things we can agree on. The, the loving father never stopped considering the man his son. You were still my son. You were lost and found. You were, you were dead, but now alive. You were gone, but you're back. And he cherishes the child. And we can assume that perhaps he would still inherit something, maybe, maybe not. But at least he had that restored relationship with his father, right? He was willing to come back as a hired help. But the man said, you are my son. He never stopped considering him son. And, and I think this is what is really the important lesson about inheritance, is what is it that you want and to receive and feel? And, and what the son... It wasn't the stuff. He thought it was the stuff, but what he missed the most was the way his father loved and provided for him. And that's really a message for us all to consider when it comes to our relationship with God. If we have decided to take these blessings, right? These blessings, it may not feel like a blessing, but if you're here and you've got air in your lung and you've got a roof of your health uh, head and, and, and you've, you know, you've got a full stomach, you've, God has blessed you with at least the provisions of life. Now, you have, you may be, you may continue to, you may be squandering this in, in, in scriptural reference. But God says, come home to me, right? Come back to me. Remember where all this came from. And even in the tough times, I will welcome you back. Now, I think the real benefit of the older son is he got the benefit of always being in his father's graces, always having everything he needed. So it may seem a little unfair that he went, this younger son blew it and came back, but the older son never was out of, of the blessing. So you ask, how do I get this inheritance from God? How do I get the peace that comes that surpasses all understanding, the confidence and boldness to face the uncertainties of this world when, when there's so much that just seems out of control? Well, you aren't the first to ask this. Like so many things, the answer is in Scripture. Sometimes it's very literal, and sometimes you have to do some interpretation and ask God to, to tell you what it means. But in Mark 10, 17 through 22, and also in Luke 18, 18 through 29, we find the story of Jesus teaching. And, and someone came up to him and said, well, it said, I'll start at verse 17 from Mark. So Mark 10, 17 through 22. It says, as, God, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him, and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't that the question we want to know? Of course, Jesus responds, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. And he says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud on your mother and father. Right, we know these. Verse 20, teacher declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Anybody think that's true? Boy, that's, it's amazing if he did. I've only heard of or know one person that's ever done it perfectly. But he says, I've done this. I've always done this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. 
and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Do you think that that was what everybody's called to do? Or do you think God knew, Jesus knew in his heart that that's the one thing he was holding on to that was more important to him? Clearly so. But I love this, that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He loved him enough to say, I, I, can't, I can't just say that that's good enough. I gotta tell you the truth. You know, you're holding out on me. You're holding out on God. You're holding something of, of higher value. So that's, that is the answer to how do I claim this inheritance? You give everything to God and say it's yours. Now, God's going to entrust it back to you. He's, he may not tell you to give up everything and go to a far-off country and be a missionary. He may, but may not, okay? But you have to be willing to say, God, whatever it is you called me to do, I am committed. I am all in on this. And more often than not, the stuff he asks you to do is much harder than that. I want you to love everyone, no matter how they treat you, no matter how they talk to you, right? I want you to have courage and hope in a world that may not seem like it has much. Whew. Can I just go be a missionary somewhere else? That sure seems a lot easier than hanging in there here. Wow. Colossians 3.24. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is Lord Christ you are serving. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. But there was another person who asked the same story about what my, I do to inherit. It's also found in Luke 10, 25 through 29. It says, one, on one occasion, an expert in the law, okay, so he knew all the commandments, stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord with the, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbors as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. So there you go. You have it. Right? He says, do this and you will live. He says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who was my neighbor? And this led to the story of the Good Samaritan. Right? And he asked, of all these examples, he said, who is the neighbor? Is the, the one who showed compassion. Right? Who is your neighbor? We talk about that. Who is your family? Well, we're all God's children. The person on your left, the person on your right, the person driving by. The person you haven't met yet, these are all your neighbors. These are all your, your family that God says, these are the people you must love. Okay? That's why it's hard. But the inheritance is something that, that God wants us to claim now. He wants us to enjoy now. He wants you to know that you have a life worth living and a, and a next life that's even better than this. He wants you to do that and, and, and take this life as an opportunity to polish those skills, to love and to have compassion and to, and to show generosity and caring for other people. He wants you to do that. He wants you to claim that. He wants you to enjoy it, and he wants you to share it. Listen to the way that Paul opens this letter to the early church in Colossae. So this is Colossians 1, 1 through 19. So the very beginning of this letter. It says, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Great. This is how we love others, right? We pray for them. It says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all the power according to his glorious might, 
so you may have great endurance and patience. Now listen to this, verse 12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people and the kingdom of light. That is your calling. God, what's my purpose? To get to heaven and take as many people as you can with you. In a nutshell. Jesus' own words, Matthew 25, 31 through 40. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. We're going to talk about this reference to being a shepherd in the coming weeks. He says he'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Right? This is what he's saying. Uh, these, these, the people, the sheep, us, God's children, this is what we do. And of course, the righteous man says, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and all this? And, and he said, I truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me, right? So I go back to it. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord's reward, it is Christ Lord you are serving. I'd like to close with just several verses, which I believe serve as a benediction. Ephesians 1.18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. Now I commit to you, commit you to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up and give an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And lastly, 1 Peter 1, 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. This is what awaits you that you claim now. So let's make that prayer. Would you make that Prayer with me, please. Heavenly Father, you have granted us a glorious inheritance. It is one that includes eternal life, salvation, forgiveness. And it's not anything that we need to wait for. You say, claim it now. All we have to do is is accept it. To turn our eyes to you and say, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord and Savior. I accept you. Come into my life so that I may feel this life abundant, so that I may turn and, and be this to others. May I make disciples and share the good news and, and lead others into the same relationship with you so that all may know the joy that I feel. Lord, we know that these are tough times in a tough world and, and we may struggle with this. We may turn slightly or even get off the path. But like the prodigal son, you say, welcome home, child. Welcome home. And all of earth, all of heaven celebrates that return. Lord, it is our, not our desire to wander from this path, but it is with faith that we know that we can turn to you. And maybe now is the time to do that. So if that's how you feel, then, then echo this prayer in your heart with me. Heavenly Father, you've seen me. You know my heart. You know what I've said. You know what I've done. Will you forgive me? Will you accept me back into your good graces? I accept you into my life. Help me to make the change, to be the, 
the person that you created me to be. If that's your prayer, then I can on good authority tell you that he heard you and he is accepted. And he prays that you accept him right back. Heavenly Father, it's in your son's name we pray. And we give this service to you. It's his name we pray, amen.